1: Chapter 7 of The Tragedy of the Corosco. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Tragedy of the Corosco by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter 7 there was nothing to show them as they journeyed onwards that they were not on the very spot that they had passed at sunset upon the evening before the region of fantastic black hills and orange sand which bordered the river had long been left behind and everywhere now was the same brown rolling gravelly plain the ground swell with the shining rounded pebbles upon its surface and the occasional little sprouts of sage-green camel-grass. Behind and before it extended, to where, far away in front of them, it sloped upwards towards a line of violet hills. The sun was not high enough yet to cause the tropical shimmer, and the wide landscape, brown with its violet edging, stood out with a hard clearness in that dry, pure air. The long caravan straggled along at the slow swing of the baggage camels. Far out on the flanks rode the vedettes, halting at every rise, and peering backwards with their hands shading their eyes. In the distance their spears and rifles seemed to stick out of them, straight and thin like needles in knitting. "'How far do you suppose we are from the Nile?' asked Cochrane. He rode with his chin on his shoulder, and his eyes straining wistfully to the eastern skyline. "'A good fifty miles,' Belmont answered. "'Not so much as that,' said the colonel. "'We could not have been moving more than fifteen or sixteen hours, and a camel does not do more than two and a half miles an hour, unless it is trotting. That would only give about forty miles.' But still it is, I fear, rather far for a rescue. I don't know that we are much the better for this postponement. What have we to hope for? We may just as well take our gruel. Never say die, cried the cheery Irishman. There's plenty of time between this and midday. Hamilton and Hidley of the Camel Corps are good boys, and they'll be after us like a streak. They'll have no baggage camels to hold them back. You can lay your life on that. Little did I think when I dined with them at mess that last night, and they were telling me all their precautions against a raid, that I should depend upon them for our lives. Well, we'll play the game out, but I'm not very hopeful, said Cochrane. Of course, we must keep the best face we can before the women i see that tippy tilly is as good as his word for those five niggers and the two brown johnnies must be the men he speaks of they all ride together and keep well up but i can't see how they are going to help us i've got my pistol back whispered belmont and his square chin and strong mouth set like granite if they try any games on the women I mean to shoot them all three with my own hand, and then we'll die with our minds easy. Good man, said Cochrane, and they rode on in silence. None of them spoke much. A curious, dreamy, irresponsible feeling crept over them. It was as if they had all taken some narcotic drug, the merciful anodyne which nature uses when a great crisis has fretted the nerves too far. They thought of their friends and of their past lives in the comprehensive way in which one views that which is completed. A subtle sweetness mingled with the sadness of their fate. They were filled with the quiet serenity of despair. "'It's devilish pretty,' said the colonel, looking about him. I always had an idea that I should like to die in a real good yellow London fog. You couldn't change for the worse. I should have liked to have died in my sleep, said Sadie. How beautiful to wake up and find yourself in the other world. There was a piece that Hetty Smith used to say at the college. Say not good night, but in some brighter world wish me good morning. The Puritan aunt shook her head at the idea. "'It's a terrible thing to go unprepared into the presence of your Maker,' said she. "'It's the loneliness of death that is terrible,' said Mrs. Belmont. "'If we and those whom we loved all passed over simultaneously, we should think no more of it than of changing our house.' If the worst comes to the worst, we won't be lonely, said her husband. We'll all go together, and we shall find Brown and Headingley and Stuart waiting on the other side. The Frenchman shrugged his shoulders. He had no belief in survival after death, but he envied the two Catholics, the quiet way in which they took things for granted. He chuckled to think of what his friends in the Café Cubat would say if they learnt that he had laid down his life for the christian faith sometimes it amused and sometimes it maddened him and he rode onwards with alternate gusts of laughter and of fury nursing his wounded wrist all the time like a mother with a sick baby across the brown of the hard pebbly desert there had been visible for some time a single long, thin, yellow streak, extending north and south as far as they could see. It was a band of sand not more than a few hundred yards across, and rising at the highest to eight or ten feet. But the prisoners were astonished to observe that the Arabs pointed at this with an air of the utmost concern, and they halted when they came to the edge of it, like men upon the brink of an unfordable river. It was very light, dusty sand, and every wandering breath of wind sent it dancing into the air like a whirl of midges. The emir Abderrahman tried to force his camel into it, but the creature, after a step or two, stood still and shivered with terror. The two chiefs talked for a little, and then the whole caravan trailed off with their heads for the north and the streak of sand upon their left what is it asked belmont who found the dragman riding at his elbow why are we going out of our course drift sand mansoor answered every sometimes the wind bring it all in one long place like that to-morrow if a wind comes perhaps there will not be one grain left but all will be carried up into the air again an arab will sometimes have to go fifty or a hundred miles to go round adrift. drift suppose he tries to cross his camel breaks its legs and he himself is sucked in and swallowed how long will this be no one can say well cochrane it's all in our favour the longer the chase the better chance for the fresh camels and for the hundredth time he looked back at the long hard skyline behind them There was the great empty, dune-coloured desert, but where the glint of steel or the twinkle of white helmet for which he yearned. And soon they cleared the obstacle in their front. It spindled away into nothing as a streak of dust-wood, which has been blown across an empty room. It was curious to see that when it was so narrow that one could almost jump it, the Arabs would still go for many hundreds of yards, rather than risk the crossing. Then, with good hard country before them once more, the tired beasts were whipped up, and they ambled on with a double-jointed jog trot, which set the prisoners nodding and bowing in grotesque and ludicrous misery. It was fun at first, and they smiled at each other, but soon the fun had become tragedy, as the terrible camel ache seized them by spine and waist.
0: Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky?